good afternoon, good morning, whatever you are in the world. Uh, we are here again, another episode of knowledge sharing cultures and other topics related to culture and how culture impacts certain industries and businesses. Before we start, I will um, share something here that culture is bigger than one person. It includes obviously sharing a set of values beliefs, traditions, and sense of belonging. Likewise, when we talk about mental health or well-being, we're talking about something that is much larger than one person. The attitudes, skills, and resources that lead to well-being is shaped or are shaped by things around us. So understanding this as a mental health and well-being counselor is crucial to any business success. Cultural backgrounds affect how one views mental health conditions, describes symptoms, communicates with you as a health uh, and wellness counselor, receives and responds to treatment, accepts mental health condition. So to be successful in mental health, um, or as a mental health provider in today's culturally diverse societies, one must understand the importance of cultural competence to effectively work with uh, different cultural groups. And we have an expert on the field and this is Bernadette Gold. I'm gonna let her introduce herself. So go ahead, Bernadette, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, so I'm an author. I'm also a spiritual counselor, coach, and consciousness leader. Um, and I'm a clairvoyant. So I'm kind of a mishmash. And I typically, with my clients, I treat everyone holistically. So a lot of the people that I have um, as clients have gone through traditional therapy and they got stuck. Some of it has to do with their culture. A lot of times they just don't feel like the person gets them. It's very important, no matter what level um, of help you offer others, you understand it does play a very, very important role in whether you'll get a breakthrough with them and, and truly be of service to them. So how long have you been doing this? 21 years. Wow. And you worked with people from all walks of backgrounds, life. Any, anything that you can mention, like the groups that you've worked with? So, um, because I've been in business for so long and I've helped so many people, it, my background's very diverse. Recently, I've had a lot coming from the Asian culture because there's a lot of issues showing up within the Asian culture. And thankfully they're reaching out for help now oh, wow. and they're wanting to learn and they're wanting to grow. Um, and what is really, I think most people don't understand a lot of people in certain Asian cultures don't have language for their feelings. They don't have language for what they're thinking. It's not mental health and, and mental well-being has not been part of the culture. It's stoic. Just get it done. They don't, they don't have a word for overwhelm. They don't have a word for depression, which most people don't realize that's a big thing. If you think about it, if you can't tell someone I'm depressed, I'm overwhelmed. I'm stressed. And you don't have the words for that in your language. Mm -hmm. How suppressing is that? Yeah. Yeah. 
I can understand. I will ask the question I was going to say, uh, why do you think um, is that happening in that particular culture? But, but obviously, just like you said, it's just not part of the culture. And so it's been since probably the beginning of time. And as long as we, um, we have, as long as the history was um, as far back as I, I don't remember, but for a long time, mental health has been a stigma. People mm-hmm. are alienated, eliminated from the scene because of I am stressed, I am depressed, or I am overwhelmed. And um, in a lot of European cultures in the medieval time and Roman Empire, and even after that, people, even recent recent history, when people say anything about mental health, um, they automatically looked at it. They're possessed by demons. Or hysteria. Or hysteria. And, oh, oh, well, we need to use a certain method to get that demon out of you and get you back to your senses, right? So speaking about about the Asian culture, mental health, and and all kind of culture, what are the consequences when there are no words to express how people feel, uh, how are things looking or feeling or sounding internally? And it's a good question. Honestly, um, the biggest part of, of the suffering that is created from not having the language, uh-huh. someone becomes like a boiling pot, a pressure cooker. They have mm-hmm. no way to express. So everything's then internalized. And that's where you start to have things like, um, well, suicide, homicide, you know, unexpressed rage will then turn to an express rage that's out of control, either turned outwardly towards others or you turn it in on yourselves. And then we have problems with suicide. And if we see, we've seen in recent years, a lot of people from diverse cultures are committing suicide. They can't take the stress of things and they have no way to express it. Therefore they have no way to get help. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's very sad. And then you have the other problem with it is you have people who are mixing cultures, right? So you have a lot of diverse cultures and Asian cultures that have emigrated uh-huh. into the Western world. Mm-hmm. So they're being asked to live with this whole different set of rules and how you engage in the world, how you work, what's expected of you, which is opposing a lot of times to what they were raised to believe. And, and you, you try to cross over still don't have the language. People talk about these things like depressed. What does that mean? You know, they still don't know what that means. They still haven't been given a frame of reference. And Mm -hmm. so now you're, you've doubly stressed and pressured because you're not like anybody else. Things don't make sense to you on any level. And you just feel different. It's very isolating. Do you have any, like, do you have any kind of statistics on these? Like, I don't off the cultures. I wish I did, but I haven't done, I haven't had time. I just released my book. So I have not had time to pull statistics. Um, And I'm sure someone has to have done that. I hope that they've done the research. If not, that's a great project for someone um, because the clients that I talk to 
that have emigrated, their families have emigrated, you know, and they've come to like to the U S and they're like, I don't understand how people live the life, their lives, the way they do here. It doesn't make sense to me. I have no reference film trying to fit in and I have no way to fit in. Then my children go to school. They're learning all these things from school. They're yep. bringing it home. I don't understand. Uh, Bernadette, I mean, you're saying something that actually, that is actually happening with me uh-huh. and my children. So, so I know exactly what you are talking about. Obviously, I was raised in a different culture, different time. Mm-hmm. I've been here for so long. So I have now kids are going to school and I'm trying to raise them certain way well here's a set of morals that we go by here's a set of how we should be speaking how we should treat elderly how we should do that and you're not understanding what i'm telling you you're not well this is america and i i'm telling them well i don't care i don't really care whether this is america or not america values are the same everywhere they go everywhere we go morals are the same everywhere this is this is what you should be doing and i keep it's a process of learning for me okay and i'm going to ask you that uh, are you talking to parents as well are you speaking to parents and also kids and how are they receiving what you're telling them because it it must be going on since we are living here in the united states it must be going on pretty much in in a lot of households. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be somebody immigrating from another country to the U.S. It can be just from generation to generation. If we go to the Midwest, if we go to South or North, people were raised certain ways. And now we have different cultures that uh, we have to acclimate ourselves with and us as parent must fit in too. So how are you? <laughs> how are you seeing this? How how are you engaging in a conversation with parents and children? You can pick any any cultural background. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And I, I know if you work in a lot with the Asian culture, probably that's your best reference. But you can talk about any other culture. How are, how is the how is the conversation being? Um, so you make a good point we're getting feedback every time i talk i don't know if you're hearing that i'm hearing you fine okay i'm just hearing an echo back um so you made a good point about just generational right on top of of mixed culture i my father lives with me he'll be 80 on tuesday you know and it's an interesting thing i'm i'll be 55 in a couple of months but I have, my kids are 10 years apart. I have two daughters, 10 years apart. So it's like having five generations, four generations of of people in my life. And, and it's a very interesting thing for my granddaughter to my youngest, to my oldest, to me, to my dad. And there's a gap of understanding because I hear from, from the older generation. And I have a lot of clients that are over 60 and 70 that come to me. And even that they're like, I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening in the world. I don't understand the way people talk. I don't understand the choices they make. 
you know, I don't understand why people are putting their, their parents and grandparents in homes and they're not caring for them because that's not how it was, especially in my culture. Um, and you take care of your elders. That's what you do. You don't just put them in a home somewhere and go visit them on the weekends. Yeah, it's inconvenient, but that's not what you do. So there's that whole sort of cultural value disconnect as well. But when I talk to people, especially parents, and and I don't work with the kids as much unless the parents bring them to me. Sometimes I am honored and and, um, graced with younger kids that come to me. It's more the parents and explaining to them how to integrate because you can't separate. And I think that's the most important part here. You can't separate your culture from the culture you're living in now. We can't, we have to integrate. We have to unify. We have to create synergy so that there's a blending where you're not sacrificing one set of morals and values and understandings for another, because then the kids are, you know, I don't know, mom, like you just don't get it. That's their famous words. Teenagers, you just don't get it. (laughs) And you're right. We don't get it. Your, your generation of gamers and, you know, Instagram lifestyle is so very different than what we were raised on how we're, how we were judged growing up as kids. It was, if you get straight A's, if you're good in sports, if you're in, in America, that's how you were looked at and judged nowadays. How many followers do you have? Yeah. How many likes did you get? And we're as parents going, what is happening Mm -hmm. here? You know, so there's even this whole new culture emerging within the children that is as their parents or grandparents, we've got to adjust to it's a different language. There's so many things about language. I think that comes into play and we have to be able to bridge the gap of that, no matter what culture, if you're coming from an Asian background, your European background, a German background, it doesn't matter. It's always going to be a challenge to bridge the gap in communication. And we all have our own way of seeing things and we have to really acknowledge, okay, I'm not understanding. So I'm going to show some grace and compassion and I'm going to listen. How do you see this? And then ask them to listen. How do, how do I see this? Now, how can we bring this together within a family? It's super important. And I'm grateful to my girls because, um, even there, I look very Asian. My girls look very Caucasian. So when I show up and they're, that's your mom. (laughs) Oh yeah. You know? So if their friends had never met me and then they see me, they're like, how's that your mom? They look closely. Oh yeah. She looks like you. Because my youngest has um, very light colored for a long time. She had blonde hair. So it was like, I'd go into stores and we lived in the country and people would look at her like I was her nanny. (laughs) Wow. Why? Because social stigma. Yeah. 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 On top of everything else, you know, and that's the thing people need to understand too, that when you're, when you're combining cultures and you're combining a mixed race blending Mm-hmm. you can't judge a book by its cover. You don't know. You don't know. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the prejudice there then divides, divides cultures, but ultimately it isn't even the culture division. We're always dividing ourselves against one another. And, mm-hmm. and then if you become individually internally divided, you're in trouble. And that's what happens when, when culture can't really mix. 
it's an unfortunate thing, but there's ways to fix it. Yes. And I appreciate what you're sharing. I'm going to hold on to this or dwell on this a bit here. This constant battle, and it can be internal battle, it can be external, but sometimes it becomes external battle with the self to fit in and understand and be understood. It creates identity crisis. Who am I? Have you seen this? Because seriously, I, just like I said, coming from a different background, having lived in the US for 32 years now and everything, um, I ask that question a lot. It, it comes, I ask that question. You're, you belong, well, you were raised, born in this culture, and you've been living here, and you're trying to balance the two, take the best uh, from one and the best from the other, try, trying to balance the mo both, and then you kind of stumble somewhere, and you're just saying, okay, all right, who am I exactly? Um, am I living an identity crisis here? And then when you get into that mode of questioning yours, your own identity, what happens? You alienate yourself from the rest. And you said, you know what? I don't belong here. I don't belong there either. So where do I belong? Yeah. So that's something that we have to be really, really conscious of and be aware of that these parents, whether they're immigrants or whether they've been living here for a long time or even people that, that were born here, people who were born here, they have that same internal struggle, especially when their principles, their values, their belief system is not what they see displayed in society. They, they cannot be fighting it all the time. And that, that obviously us as individuals, we're part of society, but most of us work and we're part of a, a corporation business where we have to uh, provide, where we have to give, where we have to produce, where we have to share. So we, we gotta take that to the, to the business arena here. How can employer, coworkers and societies support the mental health of people from different cultures and uh, different backgrounds? Education and knowledge is key. Honestly, that's the key. Know that for, for an employer, for, for an employee, for someone who's out in the public eye, you know, and you're, you're running a business, uh -huh. respect and know, educate yourself. What do those that are struggling with their own identity because of culture and cultural differences, what could possibly they be feeling that's making them maybe not as assertive, not as expressive, um, not as productive instead of just jumping on someone, why are you going through, you know, why aren't you doing it this way? Or why aren't you doing it that way? Maybe take the time to really think about the possibility. Maybe they don't understand what you're asking of them mm -hmm. or what you're saying to them. Slow down. Most important thing we can do in life, slow down. 
and listen. There's a human being across from you, next to you, working, right? Sitting at the desk across from you and, and doing their thing. That human being has their own complexities. They're going through their own thing. Just life in general is difficult. <laughs> Forget about culture, difficult. But then you add cultural um, and identity disconnects and struggles. That's a whole other realm that a lot of people don't have to deal with. So if we as individuals can empower ourselves and understand, especially corporations, create that understanding that this isn't about diversity. This isn't about the external. This is about what goes on internally. Mm -hmm. And if you could give them a voice and give them compassion and give them encouragement, maybe take some extra time to explain something to them, maybe in a different way where they can get it, you're mm -hmm. going to get way better results. And people will appreciate that about you. You're developing core, deep relationships at that point. And you can evoke all kinds of things from people if they just feel understood listen to seen. Mm -hmm. And when, when you're mentioning this, I'm thinking that obviously uh, businesses, employers can definitely benefit from cultural awareness, cultural competence training and training. It does not happen. Okay. Let's gather up. We're going to train on different cultural, uh, um, learn about different cultural backgrounds or the, how culture operate here and there. It's continuous. It's you know because because excuse me about that, but because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. It's just not black and white. One, two, three. We're done. It's continuous learning because obviously cultures evolve mm -hmm. with time, and employers have to understand that. We, for example, we have uh, we receive there's there's. As an example, there's a difference between immigrants and refugees, okay? Immigrants are people that came here voluntarily. They brought a lot of baggage with them. They brought souvenirs. They brought so many things, traditions and so on. But refugees, when we're talking about refugees, whether in Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, these people are fleeing war. Are you going to deal with them the same way as you're dealing with immigrants? Absolutely not. As far as mental health, these people are under trauma. The, yeah. They may be working, they may be sitting at a desk, but their mind is remembering their family member being slaughtered, being yeah. killed, their village bombed. So employers have to be aware of that, give some sort of support and continuous training on culture and uh, cultural nuances so that their business can their business can flourish and their employees can feel they belong and they're heard they're listened to and they that they cared for and when that happens obviously what what happens to production mm -hmm. it goes up because it's all internal and that internal has an effect on the external and the result that you see today. If we see somebody not motivated to produce, but there's a reason why, you got to find out. You got to find out as an employer, that's your job. You may say, well, okay, well, he, he can go to psychologists or whatever, or but it doesn't happen that way. Sometimes as soon as you mentioned psychologists, 
Boom, 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 boom. The bell rings. Well, I'm not crazy. Well, I know you're not crazy, but probably just a, a talk, a discussion, private discussion will, will help. So employers have a lot to learn. That's what I, I'm thinking. So how is, um, next question, how is depression, stress, and overwhelm? expressed differently between men and women. That's a big topic. <laughs> That's a huge topic. <laughs> what, what do you see? I, I, I mean, I let you talk, but observation tells me, go ahead. <laughs> so men express depression typically through anger and lethargy, but the way they express depression. It's not like women, women, you know, we want to talk to our friends. We want to cry. We want to write in a journal. We, we, we do this thing where we just go inside and we go to bed. Uh Men do it outwardly. They express it outwardly. And we typically see them as anger, angry and frustrated and, and cursing and, you know, maybe being even violent within their household or yelling at somebody or road rage. And we think, oh, they're just, they're a jerk. You don't know that. They may very well be suffering from depression. Young boys, same thing. Because think about this. Boys are taught from a very young age in almost all cultures. Don't cry. Yep. Don't cry. Men don't cry. And they don't talk about their feelings. Two guys go to a bar. One just went through a massive breakup. He's just falling apart, left him. What do they do? They sit and they drink their beer. How you doing? Hmm. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the, the extent of their conversation. How is a man supposed to deal with how he's feeling if that's the extent of his conversation? Mm-hmm. The, the connection men have to be able to express their emotions and get help is usually in partnership with a woman because the woman will say something's up. She'll notice. But if they're not partnered, which a lot of people are not partnered anymore, Mm -hmm. especially through the pandemic, there were lots of divorces and separations. Who's there to see him and say, hey, what's going on? You know, mom would do it. But once you're a grown man, it's not your buddies that are going to because your buddies don't know what to say when you if you if a man says to another man, I'm depressed. His friend's probably going to be (laughs) unsure of what to say to him and don't know how to respond to their own partner's emotions. How are they going to respond to their buddy's emotions? Who's sitting there in a puddle of tears. There's no way for them to do it. Where women, we actually reach out to our friends when we're depressed or when we're sad or when we're grieving or when we need, we will reach out and we want to talk it out. Men don't talk it out. They internalize it and then they externalize it. Wow. As, as, as you are talking, I'm thinking about uh, several, several situations and cases where, where I've seen men behaving violently and they were actually told they needed to seek help, but they didn't think there was anything wrong with them. It was just normal. That is so that's the other thing, like anyone that that notices something's going on with a man that they know, don't tell them to seek help because the minute someone hears that you need help, they think it's a judgment. Uh Oh, 
there's something wrong with me. That's the, so going for help is the last place people go. When you're told something's wrong with you, now you're starting to think you're broken. You know, nobody cares about you. You're not enough. And that's not the role of any kind of therapy or um, counseling assistance. You, to tell a man you need help is, is going to shut him down to say, it'd be good for you to find someone to open up to. Okay. And work through some of your, yeah, work through some of your stress way different, which is why life coaching, funny enough, because I was a life coach before life coaching was anything. Uh Why I think it's become so radically accepted. Uh You can go to coach, nothing wrong with the word coach doesn't denote something's wrong with you. It denotes you want better Uh for your life. Right. Yeah. But you go to a counselor, something's wrong with me. Yeah. They want to, they want to fix me. They want to shrink me really bad. So what do we do when we suggest to someone to open up to others, but they're still refusing? There comes a point in time, if someone's being very toxic or they're violent, you know, and, and they're not willing to seek help to change things that we have to disconnect from them and love them from a distance. If it's bringing drama and trauma to our lives, we have to love ourselves first, you know, but we still need to communicate that to them. Uh You know, I would love to be around you, but it's become detrimental to my own peace Mm -hmm. and happiness. So if you're going to stay this way, you know, I love you. I honor you. I'm doing it from a distance. You get to make your own choice. That's a much more loving way to disconnect than to be like, you need help. And until you get it, I'm not talking to you. Who does that help? Because now you're saying I'm right. You're wrong. And we've got to get beyond that paradigm of I'm right. And you're wrong. I'm Mm -hmm. the winner. You're the loser because that in, in all of life, absolutely, it's it's not helpful. I agree with you. Um, Open communication in a kind way, Mm -hmm. always yield results. I've seen it. I've experienced it. And that's what I really use as when I'm talking about a serious issue. I definitely use my words carefully because you just want that person to open up to you, but they, they still refuse. Well, I'll be around whenever you're ready to speak. I am right here for you. Um, and, And one day they make the phone call or they approach you that they want to talk to you about their their um, challenges, whatever they're going through internally. And, and they asking you for help. I'm not a, a mental or, or spiritual counselor or anything, but it's just that confidence that they feel that they can open up to someone. It'll be very helpful. As long as I, I tell a lot of people, as long as you, you refrain from chastising these people are coming up to you and talking to you about whatever whatever topic that may be um, you'll be just fine let time do its work and as long as you're kind using the right words and the right methodology obviously um, you will have a better result so uh, last thing I want to extract from your brain (laughs) what can people do 
if they recognize they need to improve mental and um, emotional health. So it is find someone you trust, open up to them. Um, one of the things for the, the person whose friend or partner or family member comes to them, well, simple rule, and this is really easy to remember, two warm fuzzies forever, every one cold prickly, mm-hmm. right? Have you ever heard that phrase? No, first okay. time. So what that means is two warm fuzzies is if, if you're speaking to someone and they're, you want to give them some constructive direction or guidance or help, and it's hard, you know, it's going to be hard for them to hear. Mm-hmm. You always frame it with one warm fuzzy first. I think you're amazing. Uh-huh. Right. That gives them the warm fuzzies. I also think that you should talk to somebody because I think that this is hurting you and your relationships. There's the cold prickly. And I think that if you get someone to talk to, to help guide you through this and beyond this, your life is going to be even better because I think you're amazing. There's your second cold or warm fuzzy. So you sandwich it. You sandwich it. It's just like when we are speaking, I am a, a Toastmaster uh, member. I've been a member for a long time. And when we're doing evaluation for any speech, it, the sandwich method is right there and exactly describes what you said. And it works, I guess it works for every situation in life. Yeah. I mean, with our kids, with, within relationship, two warm fuzzies for every cold prickly, you know, I tell this to my clients who I work with that are having relationship issues. How do I talk to my husband? Cause we always get into it. Well, for every one thing that you're criticizing, pointing out or asking for change on give two warm fuzzies, notice the good stuff, be grateful about that because then they'll listen to you. You're popping them open with the first warm fuzzy then you're delivering the, the real thing they need to hear, but then you're also smoothing it over with that nice other warm fuzzy that doesn't leave them feeling like something's wrong with them. We don't want to leave people with the impression that something's wrong with them. One of the things like you were talking about corporate training um, for like employees and, mm-hmm. and leadership and things like that absolutely is needed. But one of the places that I see the worst offenses in not respecting cultural differences is in customer service. You go to a restaurant and you have someone who's just hurrying through their job and someone comes up and they don't maybe speak the same language as you. So you have a hard time hearing. Instead of being kind, I've seen service providers be, whether the hospital or a restaurant, like rude. What did you say? That's not, no, 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 no. Just because they don't speak your language. It's your job as an employee, and this is where corporations need to start. Train your employees to be respectful of people who are of a different culture, who have a different language. Because just think about how how you feel if you were to go to another country and you're trying to ask for something like, you know, cream cheese on your bagel, but you don't know how to say it in their language. And you're trying to translate in your head and they're being impatient and they're yelling at you. You walk away, not only you've lost your appetite, you feel horrible about yourself because you couldn't make the translation fast enough. So we need to train our employees that are service providers in the hospitals in the restaurants and everywhere. Treat people with decent, give them time. Yeah. Don't yell at them. 
because that's the other part of it. They go home then and they just feel horrible about themselves. And then what? They take it out on their kids. They take it out on their spouse. They take it out on the dog. I, I, oh gosh, I hundred, hundred percent, two hundred percent agree with you. And that is exactly the reason why I started my consulting and training business on cultural awareness, just because I've seen it happen. Businesses lose a lot of money because their staff, their leadership are not trained on how to deal with other cultures. Their sales are not up to where they need to be. Uh, their customer service, everything, everything evolves. But we're, we're talking about a world that is, there is a global, we are in a global village. We are in culturally diverse societies, people with different beliefs, different, different everything, even skills, different skills. How do you work with people for maximum results? That's exactly what I uh, started doing because I've, I've been for over 30 years, I've been working with different cultures and I had the honor to work with uh, over 125 nationalities uh, in sales, customer service, trade. I am constantly, constantly working with different people. And one thing that helped me, I love that since I was a little girl, curiosity about others was always intriguing. And one thing that I remember I did when I started, okay, I'm working with someone from Miramar. Let's go research Miramar. What does Miramar have? Who are these people? What are they about? Their beliefs. So that's how I started researching every single culture I worked with. And you're talking about 125 or more cultures. That's a lot of research I've done to make sure that my customers feel they belong. And when they feel they belong, you connect with them much easier at a higher level. And the result is what you need or what you're looking for and what they're looking for. And it's always win-win situation. And if we are in sales, what happens? We need to close that sale. If we are in customer service, what happens? We want to make uh, the customer feel good. That way he comes back and brings people back. And this has a ripple effect. So corporations, if they don't understand about cultures, their leadership doesn't understand about cultures, their staff don't understand about culture. Trust me, there is a problem. There is a problem. Absolutely. With with that thing and understanding other people's culture, and, and taking the time to make them feel welcome and a part of it and belonging, you're creating loyalty. Yeah. I was in business development for a number of years. And that was one of the things I tried to get through to my salespeople and my marketing people. Like if we want to make one sale, that's great, but you're leaving money on the table. If you're not bringing the loyalty where they come back, they bring their friends, they give you referrals. Yeah. You know, I've built my business on referrals, word of mouth all these years. Why? Because I make people feel important and they are important. Yes, absolutely. And Mm -hmm. I can relate to exactly what you said. People ask me, how, how, how can uh, you survive in business for 20 years? You've been, uh, you opened your door 20 years ago and you don't do any marketing. You pretty much don't do much networking. You don't do, how do you, there's a key. 
every customer that I work with is important. Every one of them. And I understand, I take time, first of all, to educate myself so that I can deliver what they exactly are looking for. And that's how I've been in business for 20 years. It's not rocket science and I don't need to have to have this big budget to to market myself this is what it is I mean there's there's no magic to it and if you don't take time to um, to explain that and train your your employees you're you're messing out I'm I, I say all the time every culture has different way of looking at life looking at things of looking at mental health even mental health, every culture is different in looking at it. It's your job to understand. I've enjoyed the conversation. Any last words that you'd like to add? Just thank you. I mean, this was a fun conversation. You know, my, my hope is that anyone that's listening, um, whether for themselves or the people that are in their circle of influence, uh-huh. they take the time to really absorb that. How can I show up in the world? to allow others to feel heard, seen, and included. Absolutely. So Bernadette, where can people find you? (laughs) I have a website, BernadetteGold.com. And then I'm on all social media channels. You can find me at Facebook and Instagram is Enchanted Wealth. And then YouTube is Bernadette Gold. So, yeah. Okay. And your station out of? San Antonio, Texas. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, tell us goodbye in uh, Texan language then. (laughs) I just moved here. I don't even know. Oh, where were you before? I was in Seattle before that and then Colorado before that and then California before that. I've been all over the West Coast. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll just say goodbye and we'll say thank you until next time. Stay safe. Thank you so much for sharing. If you're listening, please reach out to Bernadette for mental health, spiritual health, and alignment, an alignment with yourself uh, to live a better life, healthy life, and uh, maximize your results. Thank you so much, Bernadette. And uh, I guess we'll stay in touch. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.